section eighteen of the crime of sylvestre bonheur by anatole france this librivox recording is in the public domain april seventeen therese give me my new hat my best frock coat and my silver-headed cane but therese is deaf as a sack of charcoal and slow as justice years have made her so the worst is that she thinks she can hear well and move about well and proud of her sixty years of upright domesticity she serves her old master with the most vigilant despotism what did i tell you and now she will not give me my silver-headed cane for fear that i might lose it it is true that i often forget umbrellas and walking-sticks in the omnibuses and booksellers shops but i have a special reason for wanting to take out with me to-day my old cane with the engraved silver head representing don quixote charging a windmill lance in rest while sancho panza with uplifted arms vainly conjures him to a stop that cane is all that came to me from the heritage of my uncle captain victor who in his lifetime resembled don quixote much more than sancho panza and who loved blows quite as much as most people fear them for thirty years i have been in the habit of carrying this cane upon all memorable or solemn visits which i make and those two figures of knight and squire give me inspiration and counsel i imagine i can hear them speak don quixote says think well about great things and know that thought is the only reality in this world lift up nature to thine own stature and let the whole universe be for thee no more than the reflection of thine own heroic soul combat for honour's sake that alone is worthy of a man and if it should fall thee to receive wounds shed thy blood as a beneficent dew and smile and sancho panza says to me in his turn remain just what heaven made thee comrade prefer the bread-crust which has become dry in thy wallet to all the partridges that roast in the kitchen of lords obey thy master whether he by a wise man or fool and do not cumber thy brain with too many useless things fear blows tis verily tempting god to seek after danger but if the incomparable knight and his matchless squire are imagined only upon this cane of mine they are realities to my inner conscience within every one of us there lives both a don quixote and a sancho panza to whom we hearken by turns and though sancho most persuades us it is don quixote that we find ourselves obliged to admire but a truce to this dotage and let us go to see madame de gabri about some matters more important than the everyday details of life same day i found madame de gabri dressed in black just buttoning her gloves i am ready she said ready so i have always found her upon any occasion of doing a kindness after some compliments about the good health of her husband who was taking a walk at the time we descended the stairs and got into the carriage i do not know what secret influence i feared to dissipate by breaking silence but we followed the great deserted drives without speaking looking at the crosses the monumental columns and the mortuary wreaths awaiting sad purchasers 
the vehicle at last halted at the extreme verge of the land of the living before the gate upon which words of hope are graven follow me said madame de gabry whose tall stature i noticed then for the first time she first walked down an alley of cypresses and then took a very narrow path contrived between the tombs finally halting before a plain slab she said to me it is here and she knelt down i could not help noticing the beautiful and easy manner in which this christian woman fell upon her knees leaving the folds of her robe to spread themselves at random about her i had never before seen any lady kneel down with such frankness and such forgetfulness of self except two fair polish exiles one evening long ago in a deserted church in paris this image passed like a flash and i saw only the sloping stone on which was graven the name of clementine what i then felt was something so deep and vague that only the sound of some rich music could convey the idea of it i seemed to hear instruments of celestial sweetness make harmony in my old heart with the solemn accords of a funeral chant there seemed to mingle the subdued melody of a song of love for my soul blended into one feeling the grave sadness of the present with the familiar graces of the past i cannot tell whether we had remained a long time at the tomb of clementine before madame de gabry arose we passed through the cemetery again without speaking to each other only when we found ourselves among the living once more did i feel able to speak while following you there i said to madame de gabry i could not help thinking of those angels with whom we are said to meet on the mysterious confines of life and death that tomb you led me to of which i knew nothing as i know nothing or scarcely anything concerning her whom it covers brought back to me emotions which were unique in my life and which seem in the dullness of that life like some light gleaming upon a dark road the light recedes farther and farther away as the journey lengthens i have now almost reached the bottom of the last slope and nevertheless each time i turn to look back i see the glow as bright as ever you madame who knew clementine as a young wife and mother after her hair had become grey you cannot imagine her as i see her still a young fair girl all pink and white since you have been so kind as to be my guide dear madame i ought to tell you what feelings were awakened in me by the sight of that grave to which you led me memories throng back upon me i feel myself like some old gnarled and mossy oak which awakens a nestling world of birds by shaking its branches unfortunately the song my birds sing is old as the world and can amuse no one but myself tell me your souvenirs said madame de gabry i cannot read your books because they are written only for scholars but i like very much to have you talk to me because you know how to give interest to the most ordinary things in life and talk to me just as you would talk to an old woman this morning i found three grey threads in my hair let them come without regret madame i replied time deals gently only with those who take it gently and when in some years more you will have a silvery fringe under your black fillet you will be reclothed with a new beauty 
less vivid but more touching than the first and you will find your husband admiring your grey tresses as much as he did that black curl which you gave him when about to be married and which he preserves in a locket as a thing sacred these boulevards are broad and very quiet we can talk at our ease as we walk along i will tell you to begin with how i first made the acquaintance of clementine's father but you must not expect anything extraordinary or anything even remarkable you would be greatly deceived monsieur de lesay used to live in the second story of an old house in the avenue de l'observatoire having a stuccoed front ornamented with antique busts and a large unkept garden attached to it that facade and that garden were the first images my child eyes perceived and they will be the last no doubt which i still see through my closed eyelids when the inevitable day comes for it was in that house that i was born it was in that garden i first learned while playing to feel and know some particles of this old universe magical hours sacred hours when the soul all fresh from the making first discovers the world which for its sake seems to assume such caressing brightness such mysterious charm and that madame is indeed because the universe itself is only the reflection of our soul my mother was being very happily constituted she rose with the sun like the birds and she herself resembled the birds by her domestic industry by her maternal instinct by her perpetual desire to sing and by a sort of brusque grace which i could feel the spirit of very well even as a child she was the soul of the house which she filled with her systematic and joyous activity my father was just as slow as she was brisk i can recall very well that placid face of his over which at times an ironical smile used to flit he was fatigued with active life and he loved his fatigue seated beside the fire in his big armchair he used to read from morning till night and it is from him that i inherit my love for books i have in my library a mably and a now which he annotated with his own hand from beginning to end but it was utterly useless attempting to interest him in anything practical whatever when my mother would try by all kinds of gracious little ruses to lure him out of his retirement he would simply shake his head with that inexorable gentleness which is the force of weak characters he used in this way gently to worry the poor woman who could not enter at all into his own sphere of meditative wisdom and could understand nothing of life except its daily duties and the merry labour of each hour she thought him sick and feared he was going to become still more so but his apathy had a different cause my father entering the naval office under m decroix in eighteen o one gave early proof of high administrative talent there was a great deal of activity in the marine department in those times and in eighteen o five my father was appointed chief of the second administrative division that same year the emperor whose attention had been called to him by the minister ordered him to make a report upon the organization of the english navy this work which reflected a profoundly liberal and philosophic spirit of which the editor himself was unconscious 
was only finished in eighteen o seven about eighteen months after the defeat of admiral villeneuve at trafalgar napoleon who from that disastrous day never wanted to hear the word ship mentioned in his presence angrily glanced over a few pages of the memoir and then threw it in the fire vociferating words words i said once before that i hate ideologists my father was told afterwards that the emperor's anger was so intense at the moment that he stamped the manuscript down into the fire with his boot-heels at all events it was his habit when very much irritated to poke down the fire with his boot-soles my father never fully recovered from this disgrace and the fruitlessness of all his efforts towards reform was certainly the cause of the apathy which came upon him at a later day nevertheless napoleon after his return from elba sent for him and ordered him to prepare some liberal and patriotic bulletins and proclamations for the fleet after waterloo my father whom the event had rather saddened than surprised retired into private life and was not interfered with except that it was generally averred of him that he was a jacobin a bouver de sang one of those men with whom no one could afford to be on intimate terms my mother's eldest brother victor maldon an infantry captain retired on half-pay in eighteen fourteen and disbanded in eighteen fifteen aggravated by his bad attitude the situation in which the fall of the empire had placed my father captain victor used to shout in the cafes and the public balls that the bourbons had sold france to the cossacks he used to show everybody a tricolored cockade hidden in the lining of his hat and carried with much ostentation a walking-stick the handle of which had been so carved that the shadow thrown by it made the silhouette of the emperor unless you have seen certain lithographs by charlet madame you could form no idea of the physiognomy of my uncle victor when he used to stride about the garden of the tuileries with a fiercely elegant manner of his own buttoned up in his frogged coat with his cross of honour upon his breast and a bouquet of violets in his buttonhole idleness and intemperance greatly intensified the vulgar recklessness of his political passions he used to insult people whom he happened to see reading the quotidienne or the drapeau blanc and compel them to fight with him in this way he had the pain and the shame of wounding a boy of sixteen in a duel in short my uncle victor was the very reverse of a well-behaved person and as he came to lunch and dine at our house every blessed day in the year his bad reputation became attached to our family my poor father suffered cruelly from some of his guests pranks but being very good-natured he never made any remarks and continued to give the freedom of his house to the captain who only despised him for it all this which i have told you madame was explained to me afterwards but at the time in question my uncle the captain filled me with the very enthusiasm of admiration and i promised myself to try to become some day as like him as possible so one fine morning in order to begin the likeness i put my arms akimbo and swore like a trooper my excellent mother at once gave me such a box on the ear that i remained half stupefied for some little while before i could even burst out crying 
i can still see the old armchair covered with yellow utrecht velvet behind which i wept innumerable tears that day i was a very little fellow then one morning my father lifting me upon his knees as he was in the habit of doing smiled at me with that slightly ironical smile which gave a certain piquancy to his perpetual gentleness of manner as i sat on his knee playing with his long white hair he told me something which i did not understand very well but which interested me very much for the simple reason that it was mysterious to me i think but am not quite sure that he related to me that morning the story of the little king of yvetot according to the song all of a sudden we heard a great report and the windows rattled my father slipped me down gently on the floor at his feet he threw up his trembling arms with a strange gesture his face became all inert and white and his eyes seemed enormous he tried to speak but his teeth were chattering at last he murmured they have shot him i did not know what he meant and felt only a vague terror i knew afterwards however that he was speaking of marshal ney who fell on the seventh of december eighteen fifteen under the wall enclosing some waste ground beside our house about that time i used often to meet on the stairway an old man or perhaps not exactly an old man with little black eyes which flashed with extraordinary vivacity and an impassive swarthy face he did not seem to me alive or at least he did not seem to me alive in the same way that other men are alive i had once seen at the residence of m denon where my father had taken me with him on a visit a mummy brought from egypt and i believed in good faith that m denon's mummy used to get up when no one was looking leave its gilded case put on a brown coat and powdered wig and become transformed into m de lesay and even to-day dear madame while i reject that opinion as being without foundation i must confess that m de lesay bore a very strong resemblance to m denon's mummy the fact is enough to explain why this person inspired me with fantastic terror in reality m de lesay was a small gentleman and a great philosopher as a disciple of mably and rousseau he flattered himself on being a man without any prejudices and this pretension itself is a very great prejudice he professed to hate fanaticism yet was himself a fanatic on the topic of toleration i am telling you madame about a character belonging to an age that is past i fear i may not be able to make you understand and i am sure i shall not be able to interest you it was so long ago but i will abridge as much as possible besides i did not promise you anything interesting and you could not have expected to hear of remarkable adventures in the life of sylvestre bonheur madame de gabry encouraged me to proceed and i resumed Monsieur de lesay was brusque with men and courteous to ladies he used to kiss the hand of my mother whom the customs of the republic and the empire had not habituated to such gallantry in him i touched the age of louis the sixteenth Monsieur de lesay was a geographer and nobody i believe ever showed more pride than he in occupying himself with the face of the earth under the old regime he had attempted philosophical agriculture and thus squandered his estates to the very last acre when he had ceased to own one square foot of ground he took possession of the whole globe and prepared an extraordinary number of maps based upon the narratives of travellers but as he had been mentally nourished with the very marrow of the encyclopedie he was not satisfied with merely parking 
off human beings within so many degrees minutes and seconds of latitude and longitude he also occupied himself alas with the question of their happiness it is worthy of remark madame that those who have given themselves the most concern about the happiness of peoples have made their neighbours very miserable m de lacet who was more of a geometrician than d'olembert and more of a philosopher than jean-jacques was also more of a royalist than louis the eighteenth but his love for the king was nothing to his hate for the emperor he had joined the conspiracy of georges against the first consul but in the framing of the indictment he was not included among the inculpated parties having been either ignored or despised and this injury he never could forgive bonaparte whom he called the ogre of corsica and to whom he used to say he would never have confided even the command of a regiment so pitiful a soldier he judged him to be in eighteen twenty m de lacet who had then been a widower for many years married again at the age of sixty a very young woman whom he pitilessly kept at work preparing maps for him and who gave him a daughter some years after their marriage and died in childbed my mother had nursed her during her brief illness and had taken care of the child the name of that child was clementine it was from the time of that birth and that death that the relations between our family and m de lacet began in the meanwhile i had been growing dull as i began to leave my true childhood behind me i had lost the charming power of being able to see and feel and things no longer caused me those delicious surprises which formed the enchantment of the more tender age for the same reason perhaps i have no distinct remembrance of the period following the birth of clementine i only know that a few months afterwards i had a misfortune the mere thought of which still wrings my heart i lost my mother a great silence a great coldness and a great darkness seemed all at once to fill the house i fell into a sort of torpor my father sent me to the lycee but i could only arouse myself from my lethargy with the greatest of effort still i was not altogether a dullard and my professors were able to teach me almost everything they wanted namely a little greek and a great deal of latin my acquaintances were confined to the ancients i learned to esteem miltiades and to admire themistocles i became familiar with quintus fabius as far at least as it was possible to become familiar with so great a consul proud of these lofty acquaintances i scarcely ever condescended to notice little clementine and her old father who in any event went away to normandy one fine morning without my having deigned to give a moment's thought to their possible return they came back however madame they came back influences of heaven forces of nature all ye mysterious powers which vouchsafe to man the ability to love you know how i again beheld clementine they re-entered our melancholy home m de lacet no longer wore a wig bald with a few grey locks about his ruddy temples he had all the aspect of robust old age but that divine being whom i saw all resplendent as she leaned upon his arm she whose presence illuminated the old faded parlour she was not an apparition it was clementine herself i am speaking the simple truth her violet eyes seemed to me in that moment supernatural and even to-day i cannot imagine how those two living jewels could have endured the fatigues of life or become subjected to the corruption of death she betrayed a little shyness in greeting my father whom she did not remember her complexion was slightly pink and her half-open lips smiled with that smile which makes one think of the infinite perhaps because it betrays no particular thought and expresses only the joy of living and the bliss of being beautiful 
under a pink hood her face shone like a gem in an open casket she wore a cashmere scarf over a robe of white muslin plaited at the waist from beneath which protruded the tip of a little morocco shoe oh you must not make fun of me dear madame that was the fashion of the time and i do not know whether our new fashions have nearly so much simplicity brightness and decorous grace m de lesay informed us that in consequence of having undertaken the publication of a historical atlas he had come back to live in paris and that he would be pleased to occupy his former apartment if it was still vacant my father asked mademoiselle de lesay whether she was pleased to visit the capital she appeared to be for her smile blossomed out in reply she smiled at the windows that looked out upon the green and luminous garden she smiled at the bronze marius seated among the ruins of carthage above the dial of the clock she smiled at the old yellow velveted armchairs and at the poor student who was afraid to lift his eyes to look at her from that day how i loved her but here we are already at the rue de Sever, and in a little while we shall be in sight of your windows i am a very bad story-teller and if i were by some impossible chance to take it into my head to compose a novel i know i should never succeed i have been drawing out to tiresome length a narrative which i must finish briefly for there is a certain delicacy a certain grace of soul which an old man could not help offending by an complacent expatiation upon the sentiments of even the purest love let us take a short turn on this boulevard lined with convents and my recital will be easily finished within the distance separating us from that little spire you see over there m de lesay on finding that i had graduated at the ecole des chartes judged me worthy to assist him in preparing his historical atlas the plan was to illustrate by a series of maps what the old philosopher termed the vicissitudes of empires from the time of noah down to that of charlemagne m de lesay had stored up in his head all the errors of the eighteenth century in regard to antiquity i belonged so far as my historical studies were concerned to the new school and i was just at that age when one does not know how to dissemble the manner in which the old man understood or rather misunderstood the epoch of the barbarians his obstinate determination to find in remote antiquity only ambitious princes hypocritical and avaricious prelates virtuous citizens poet philosophers and other personages who never existed outside of the novels of marmontel made me dreadfully unhappy and at first used to excite me into attempts at argument rational enough but perfectly useless and sometimes dangerous for m de lesay was very irascible and clementine was very beautiful between her and him i passed many hours of torment and of delight i was in love i was a coward and i granted to him all that he demanded of me in regard to the political and historical aspect which the earth that was at a later day to bear clementine presented in the time of abraham of menes and of deucalion as fast as we drew our maps mademoiselle de lesay tinted them in water-colours bending over the table she held the brush lightly between two fingers the shadow of her eyelashes descended upon her cheeks and bathed her half-closed eyes in a delicious penumbra 
sometimes she would lift her head and i would see her lips pout there was so much expression in her beauty that she could not breathe without seeming to sigh and her most ordinary poses used to throw me into the deepest ecstasies of admiration whenever i gazed at her i fully agreed with m de Lassay that jupiter had once reigned as a despot king over the mountainous regions of thessaly and that orpheus had committed the imprudence of leaving the teaching of philosophy to the clergy i am not now quite sure whether i was a coward or a hero when i accorded all this to the obstinate old man mademoiselle de Lassay, i must acknowledge paid very little attention to me but this indifference seemed to me so just and so natural that i never even dreamed of thinking i had a right to complain about it it made me unhappy but without my knowing that i was unhappy at the time i was hopeful we had then only got as far as the first assyrian empire m de Lassay came every evening to take coffee with my father i do not know how they became such friends for it would have been difficult to find two characters more oppositely constituted my father was a man who admired very few things but was still capable of excusing a great many still as he grew older he evinced more and more dislike of everything in the shape of exaggeration he clothed his ideas with a thousand delicate shades of expression and never pronounced an opinion without all sorts of reservations these conversational habits natural to a finely trained mind used greatly to irritate the dry terse old aristocrat who was never in the least disarmed by the moderation of an adversary quite the contrary i always foresaw one danger that danger was bonaparte my father had not himself retained a particular affection for his memory but having worked under his direction he did not like to hear him abused especially in favour of the bourbons against whom he had serious reason to feel resentment m de Lassay, more of a voltairian and a legitimist than ever now traced back to bonaparte the origin of every social political and religious evil such being the situation the idea of uncle victor made me feel particularly uneasy this terrible uncle had become absolutely insufferable now that his sister was no longer there to calm him down the harp of david was broken and saul was wholly delivered over to the spirit of madness the fall of charles x had increased the audacity of the old napoleonic veteran who uttered all imaginable bravados he no longer frequented our house which had become too silent for him but sometimes at the dinner hour we would see him suddenly make his appearance all covered with flowers like a mausoleum ordinarily he would sit down to table with an oath growled out from the very bottom of his chest and brag between every two mouthfuls of his good fortune with the ladies as a vieux brave then when the dinner was over he would fold up his napkin in the shape of a bishop's mitre gulp down half a decanter of brandy and rush away with the hurried air of a man terrified at the mere idea of remaining for any length of time without drinking in conversation with an old philosopher and a young scholar i felt perfectly sure that if ever he and m de Lassay should come together all would be lost but that day came madame the captain was almost hidden by flowers that day and seemed so much like a monument commemorating the glories of the empire that one would have liked to pass a garland of immortelles over each of his arms he was in an extraordinarily good humour and the first person to profit by that good humour was our cook for he put his arm around her waist while she was placing the roast on the table 
after dinner he pushed away the decanter presented to him observing that he was going to burn some brandy in his coffee later on i asked him tremblingly whether he would not prefer to have his coffee at once he was very suspicious and not at all dull of comprehension my uncle victor my precipitation seemed to him in very bad taste for he looked at me in a peculiar way and said patience my nephew it isn't the business of the baby of the regiment to sound the retreat devil take it you must be in a great hurry master pedant to see if i've got spurs on my boots it was evident the captain had divined that i wanted him to go and i knew him well enough to be sure that he was going to stay he stayed the least circumstances of that evening remain impressed on my memory my uncle was extremely jovial the mere idea of being in somebody's way was enough to keep him in good humour he told us in regular barrack style ma foi a certain story about a monk a trumpet and five bottles of chambertin which must have been much enjoyed in the garrison society but which i would not venture to repeat to you madame even if i could remember it when we passed into the parlour the captain called attention to the bad condition of our andirons and learnedly discoursed on the merits of rotten stone as a brass polisher not a word on the subject of politics he was husbanding his forces eight o'clock sounded from the ruins of carthage on the mantelpiece it was m de lassay's hour a few moments later he entered the parlour with his daughter the ordinary evening chat began clementine sat down and began to work on some embroidery beside the lamp whose shade left her pretty head in a soft shadow and threw down upon her fingers a radiance that made them seem almost self-luminous m de lassay spoke of a comet announced by the astronomers and developed some theories in relation to the subject which however audacious betrayed at least a certain degree of intellectual culture my father who knew a good deal about astronomy advanced some sound ideas of his own which he ended up with his eternal but what do we know about it after all in my turn i cited the opinion of our neighbour of the observatory the great arago my uncle victor declared that comets had a peculiar influence on the quality of wines and related in support of this view a jolly tavern story i was so delighted with the turn the conversation had taken that i did all in my power to maintain it in the same groove with the help of my most recent studies by a long exposition of the chemical composition of those nebulous bodies which although extending over a length of billions of leagues could be contained in a small bottle my father a little surprised at my unusual eloquence watched me with his peculiar placid ironical smile but one cannot always remain in heaven i spoke as i looked at clementine of a certain cometa of diamonds which i had been admiring in a jeweller's window the evening before it was a most unfortunate inspiration of mine ah my nephew cried uncle victor that cometa of yours was nothing to the one which the empress josephine wore in her hair when she came to strasbourg to distribute crosses to the army that little josephine was very fond of finery and display observed m de lacy between two sips of coffee i do not blame her for it she had good qualities though rather frivolous in character she was a tasher and she conferred a great honour on bonaparte by marrying him to say a tasher does not of course mean a great deal but to say a bonaparte simply means nothing at all what do you mean by that monsieur the marquis demanded captain victor i'm not a marquis dryly responded monsieur de lacy and i mean simply that bonaparte would have been very well suited had he married one of those cannibal women described by captain cook in his voyages naked tattooed with a ring in her nose devouring with delight putrefied human flesh i had foreseen it and in my anguish o oh, pitiful human heart 
my first idea was about the remarkable exactness of my anticipations i must say that the captain's reply belonged to the sublime order he put his arms akimbo eyed m de lesay contemptuously from head to foot and said napoleon m de vidame had another spouse besides josephine another spouse besides marie louise that companion you know nothing of but i have seen her close to me she wears a mantle of azure gemmed with stars she is crowned with laurels the cross of honour flames upon her breast her name is glory m de lesay set his cup on the mantelpiece and quietly observed your bonaparte was a blackguard my father rose up calmly extended his arm and said very softly to m de lesay whatever the man was who died at st helena i worked for ten years in his government and my brother-in-law was three times wounded under his eagles i beg of you dear sir and friend never to forget these facts in future what the sublime and burlesque insolence of the captain could not do the courteous remonstrance of my father effected immediately throwing m de lesay into a furious passion i did forget he exclaimed between his set teeth livid in his rage and fairly foaming at the mouth the herring cask always smells of herring and when one has been in the service of rascals as he uttered the word the captain sprang at his throat i am sure he would have strangled him upon the spot but for his daughter and me my father a little paler than his wont stood there with his arms folded and watched the scene with a look of inexpressible pity what followed was still more lamentable but why dwell further upon the folly of two old men finally i succeeded in separating them m de lesay made a sign to his daughter and left the room as she was following him i ran out into the stairway after her mademoiselle i said to her wildly taking her hand as i spoke i love you i love you for a moment she pressed my hand her lips opened what was it that she was going to say to me but suddenly lifting her eyes towards her father ascending the stairs she drew her hand away and made me a gesture of farewell i never saw her again her father went to live in the neighbourhood of the pantheon in an apartment which he had rented for the sale of his historical atlas he died in a few months afterward of an apoplectic stroke his daughter i was told retired to cannes to live with some aged relative it was there that later on she married a bank clerk the same noel alexandra who became so rich and died so poor as for me madame i have lived alone at peace with myself my existence equally exempt from great pains and great joys has been tolerably happy but for many years i could never see an empty chair beside my own of a winter's evening without feeling a sudden painful sinking at my heart last year i learned from you who had known her the story of her old age and death i saw her daughter at your house i have seen her but i cannot yet say like the aged man of scripture and now o lord let thy servant depart in peace for if an old fellow like me can be of any use to anybody i would wish with your help to devote my last energies and abilities to the care of this orphan i had uttered these last words in madame de gabray's own vestibule and i was about to take leave of my kind guide when she said to me my dear monsieur i cannot help you in this matter as much as i would like to do jeanne is an orphan and a minor you cannot do anything for her without the authorization of her guardian ah i exclaimed i had not the least idea in the world that jeanne had a guardian madame de gabry looked at me with visible surprise she had not expected to find the old man quite so simple she resumed the guardian of jeanne alexandre is maitre mouche notary at la valois Paris. i am afraid you will not be able to come to any understanding with him for he is a very serious person why good god i cried with what kind of people can you expect me to have any sort of understanding at my age except serious persons 
she smiled with a sweet mischievousness just as my father used to smile and answered with those who are like you the innocent folks who wear their hearts on their sleeves monsieur mouche is not exactly that kind he is cunning and light-fingered but although i have very little liking for him we will go together and see him if you wish and ask his permission to visit jeanne whom he has sent to a boarding-school at les Tournes, where she is very unhappy we agreed it once upon a day i kissed madame de gabry's hands and we bade each other good-bye End of section 18